Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are reviewing Show Your Work by Austin Cleon. 10 ways to show your creativity and get discovered. We did uh, Steal Like an Artist back in 2018. We did his newest book, Keep Going. So we're sort of going out of order here. This is like his second of the trilogy, uh, Show Your Work. So Steal Like an Artist was really about the idea creation of things and then when he wrote that book, he had a lot of people thinking, all right, it's all good to have ideas, but, but what about getting your stuff out there and getting noticed? Because that's a whole new ball game in itself. Yeah, the great Honoré de Balzac. One of, <laughs> <laughs> that's not him, is it? That's his name. <laughs> There's a few of these <laughs> in Cleon's books that he quotes from obscure artists that you may or may not have heard of before. Or but... may or may not exist. <laughs> well, hey, that's what it said in the book. <laughs> Balzac. B A L Z A C. Jesus. Uh, but the best part is honor. honor. <laughs> no, mate, that does sound like a fake name. Honor. It says honor de Balsac. <laughs> That's not right. Anyway. Well, well the on. great man said that for artists, the great problem to solve is how to get oneself noticed. Because as you say, it's all uh, good and well thinking of ideas and creating art, but. Uh, Obviously, the next stage is you want to be found. You want to get noticed. You want to get yourself out there. You want to get an audience, something along those lines. You, you want to get your work out there. Absolutely. And Cleon, he hates talking about self-promotion. So does a lot of people. It makes you feel quite uncomfortable. So there's one approach. It's going out there, just blowing your own trumpet and promoting yourself. But the other way that he recommends and uh, thinks is a lot better is the Steve Martin style. Be so good they can't ignore you. Yeah, Steve Martin said that if you focus on getting really good at what you do, then people will eventually come to you. So rather than you going out there to find an audience for your work, they find you if you're good enough. But Cleon's uh, a bit more realistic. He says, obviously, you can't just be relying on being found. At the same time, you also need to be findable. So at the same time as getting really good and practicing your craft and improving upon what you do, there's also an element of putting your stuff out there and being discoverable so whilst you're getting good, people could find you at the same time. So if you become so good that they can't ignore you and you mix it in with a cocktail of being findable, it comes to this. Imagine if your next boss didn't have to read your resume because he already reads your blog. Or imagine being a student and getting your first gig based on a school project you posted online. Or imagine losing your job but having a social network of people familiar with your work and ready to help you go out and find a new job. Yeah, mate, all of those would be phenomenal. Or he says even something even simpler and just as satisfying. You spend the majority of your time, energy and attention practicing this craft or learning a trade or running a business uh, whilst you're doing everything else you're already doing and you're opening yourself up to the possibility that, you know, just maybe your work might attract a group of people who share the same interests. Mm. He says it's like a... A great starting point, almost like a bit of optionality there to do what you're already doing, but keep tinkering away on the side as well. Yeah, and then, yeah, just doing what you enjoy doing and you're getting found because you're doing what you enjoy doing. It's a fantastic mix. So that's the intro of the book. It's got 10 bangers in there, so we're going to cover a few of the bangers. And the first banger is you don't have to be a genius. Yeah, in fact, sometimes it's a big advantage to be an amateur instead of a professional. In uh, Cleon's parlance, he says that we're sort of terrified of being revealed as an amateur, but really an amateur to him, you know, from the French uh, word lover, it's just an enthusiast, someone who pursues her work in a spirit of love. You know, regardless of the potential for fame or money or career or some kind of external validation out of it, you're just doing what you're doing because you love it. And those amateurs can have an advantage over the professionals who are doing it for external reasons. 
Yes, it's uh, if you are a professional and you act like you're professional, it's really hard to begin again because you know you claim like you know it all. But if you're an amateur, or there's another quote by Shronyuru Suzuki, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are only a few. Because you have so little to lose as an amateur, you're really willing to try anything in order to get the results. But one really important thing here is he says that you know, moving from a starting point of mediocrity where you are to moving to a point where you're really good, you can get there in small increments. So from you know, starting out from being shit, you can get better and better and better each time until you're eventually good. He says the biggest gap and the hardest gap to bridge is the gap between doing nothing and doing something. So if we think we try to go from nothing to being good, that's going to be tough. You need to be willing to go from doing nothing to doing something, being shit at the start as an amateur and keep practicing and keep practicing. Uh, But the biggest jump is going from nothing to something. Yeah, that is the hardest thing. If you're thinking about trying to learn anything, if you get on the surfboard for the first time or something and you you paddle out, you're just going to suck. You're not going to catch any waves for a very long time. Or, you know, if you start to learn the guitar or you start and just do your first podcast for the first time. And, you know, this might be disheartening for a lot of people because you realize how little you know and how much you suck. And having that approach, even if you are a professional and obviously you do take yourself seriously, you take your work seriously, Cleon says still the best approach to bring to it is the approach of an amateur. You know, the world is changing at such a rapid rate. Uh, there are all, always going to be new opportunities that present themselves. If you think you're too good to begin again or if you think it's too much of a risk to try something different, then you're probably going to be left behind. You need to still retain that amateur perspective and be willing to take a couple of risks. Yeah, uh, Kevin Kelly in the book Inevitable, he talked about how the future is going to be changing so fast that if you are a professional and you think you know it all, you're going to be thrown apart. The future belongs to the people who are permanent newbies. So they see themselves as amateurs and are always ready to learn something new and jump into the deep end. So that's certainly an important lesson is to maintain that sense of you know being an amateur realize that you don't have to be a genius in order to you know get to the top of your field whatever that may be the next section he talks about is to think more about the process and less about the actual products he says that the term you know artwork uh, and as we said in steel like an artist art is a very broad term in terms of creating something brand new and something different there's two ways you can look at the artwork there's the artwork you know, one word, which is the finished piece. That's a thing that you make a painting and then at the very end, you frame it and you hang it on a gallery wall. That's one part of the artwork. But the other part of the artwork is the artwork, as in the work, the day-to-day stuff that goes on behind the scenes in the studio. You know, you're looking for inspiration. You're getting an idea. You're applying the oil to the canvas. It's the work of doing things all the time. And that's the process rather than the product. So, you know, in the past, it was all about making the best product possible. The only thing that mattered was the painting that you hang on the gallery wall at the end of the process. But he's saying that today, the act of making the painting, the act of doing the work, these are all things that can be shared along the journey. So in the past, you wouldn't share your shitty little sketches. But now, if you can take people on that journey with you and share uh, a bit of a behind-the-scenes look as to what you're doing, you can develop more of an audience along the way as well. The best part about sharing your work with your audience as it's a work in progress means you're going to get the vital feedback as you keep on going. You keep on building and building and focus on the product and just share that at the end. It might be something that no one cares about. So constant engagement with your audience and understanding what people react to is 
a real good way of getting feedback. Yeah, it certainly is. He says that uh, the myth of the overnight success is just that. It is a myth. If you dig into any overnight success, it's not just one single event that out of nowhere they were discovered and that was it. If you dig in a little deeper, you'll see that behind every overnight success, there's decades worth of hard work and perseverance. To build up any substantial body of work takes obviously a a long time and that's all the process that happens along the way. So if you're just waiting for that one point where you get discovered and you're an overnight success, uh, you're definitely going about it wrong. You need to share that whole process along the way as you gradually build up uh, the repertoire or that body of work. So as you focus on process, you can really look at the shorter and shorter horizon. So you can forget about decades, forget about years, forget about the months. You can start just looking at your day-to-day work and what you're doing in the moment. Yeah, he's got these cool little um, drawings and sketches and graphs along the way. And he starts on one page, he puts an X and that's called one day. So one day is one X. Obviously, if you just do that for one day, it doesn't look like much. But if you then stack up a month's worth of Xs, you've got 30 little Xs there. It's starting to look more substantial. You turn over the page and the full page is covered in Xs. That's one year. So rather than just you know thinking about the big picture at the end of the day, if you just focus on that one day, that one little X, and keep going and keep working hard and keep persevering, eventually they build up and become more substantial. Absolutely. So you know, how many words are in a book? 30 to 50,000, maybe, yeah. maybe more. So if you write, what, a, a thousand words a day or even less, a hundred words a day, you've got a book over mm. a year, don't you? A hundred words is nothing. Yeah, most certainly. If you just focus on that, that, as you say, that smaller time horizon rather than just thinking about the big picture and thinking how far away that eventual goal is, uh, it's much more manageable to break it down into smaller chunks. So if you do the small chunks, you might just be looking at a blog post, an email, a photo, a video, or a tweet. But if you've got this as part of your as your process, as something you're doing as a pro day to day to day, over a year, all of a sudden, you've got 365 little jigsaw pieces that over time, it might start forming something that you can put together. Yeah, there's a, a dude, uh, Theodore Sturgeon, another one of Austin's favorite blokes from the pub, <laughs> that uh, he calls it Sturgeon's Law, is, you know, don't worry about everything perfect because big Theodore Sturgeon said that pretty much... of everything is crap. And Mm -hmm. so the same goes for your work as well. Pretty much 90% of the stuff you do is probably going to be crap. And the big problem is you don't know what's good and what's crap until it's out there. So rather than thinking, okay, I'm going to make this as good as possible, rather than trying to always go for quality, rather than trying to grow that from, you know, 10% gold to 20% gold, Cleon says just focus on growing the whole pie itself. So do more and more and more work and eventually that 10% is going to be a larger overall uh, amount of work, amount of good stuff. By doing more, you're going to have more crap, but you're also going to have more good stuff. That's a good move as a built-in assumption. What did um, Michelangelo, he, I think he had uh, 30,000 pieces Picasso, of Picasso, 60,000. 60,000 pieces of work. A million. <laughs> anyway, it was a physically impossible number, <laughs> what we covered in the book. It was an impressive number, but... Yeah, I think it's just good to have that built-in assumption that most of your stuff's going to be crap. So, you know, if you're writing something or taking a photo or whatever it might be and it's crap, understand it, keep moving on and just keep doing it anyway. Yeah, there's a few um, things we've talked about. The book Originals talks about, you know, tripling your content. Uh, And also there was like the study of the uni students going for quantity versus quality. Uh, We won't rehash them here. You can maybe go back and listen to Originals. But uh, that's all. it's all about growing the amount rather than just focusing on trying to make everything perfect. 
just rather than that, just go out and do a whole bunch of different things and you'll eventually get better each time. The next section of the book Austin talks about is telling good stories because work, it doesn't just sit there and speak to yourself. It's got a massive subjective element. If you think about a French painting, so if you go to a French museum with champagne and there's two paintings there and they're exactly the same. One of them, the chick comes up to you and says, this painting A was painted in the 17th century by a Dutch master. And this painting B, this was a forgery by a college graduate student. I mean, which one are you going to take home? Like they're exactly the same, but the story was something from three or 400 years ago compared to the one who's a college student who just forged the whole lot. Although they're exactly the same, all of a sudden the subjective element completely warps the value of both of them to be completely different. Yeah, most certainly. I think it was in uh, Mindless Eating that he talked about different types of restaurant menus. You know, if one is, uh, you know, rump steak or if one is grass-fed natural wildebeest, uh, just even though it's the exact same slab of meat, just explaining them a little bit differently, perceived in your mind, it, it's perceived to be a hell of a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. There's a pizza joint, apparently the best pizza joint in <laughs> Melbourne um, down the road, Artisans. I don't know if I've taken you there before, but... Uh, yeah, it's got one of the best antipasto boards you'll ever eat. I think objectively it's the same as a lot of antipasto <laughs> boards, but what they do every single time without fault is they'll label every single item on that antipasto board. They'll throw in a few countries like this is from Italy, this is from Bulgaria. I think they're full of shit, but it doesn't matter because it sounds like an incredible story that adds value to your meal. And I think your taste buds do get affected by what you're anticipating in the meal. Yeah, definitely. And so that's, a, you know, talking about the work you do, you can say, oh, this is just something I slapped together on the weekend. Uh, that's obviously a very bad way of... <coughs> your voice is breaking along yeah, now. That's a, a very bad way of framing your work. Whereas if you can tell a, a bit more of a story about it without obviously going over the top, uh, it just sets people up to have a better experience rather than just being whacked with something you just slapped together. And I think also not just that, just a story about yourself. Mm. I mean, you, you're you going to get asked inevitably at almost every single party you go to. And for most of us, if you look in the background, a lot of your life is basically uncertain. It's all messy and illogical. There's a lot of raw, random experiences lying around that don't really fit into your traditional uh, fairy tale of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves or anything like that. But if you do some cropping and editing of your backstory, Soon enough, it's going to resemble some kind of story. And the more you tell your story, the better your story will become. So just again, assume that your story right now might be of your college graduate student. Over time, you might be able to paint it in some kind of way that there's a lot more value in uh, you know, the history of what brings you where you are today. Yeah, most certainly. I think even for us, like rather than, uh, you know, I probably used to say, I oh, just mean a mate, yeah, we read a book and talk shit about it. Uh, in the early days, whereas now, if you know, we've been doing it for over three years and 200 plus episodes, and we've interviewed A, B, and C amazing guests, it just sounds a lot better the way you tell that story rather than just saying, Oh, yeah, it's a you know, a couple of people just you know, we read books and talk shit. Yeah, I think it's important to paint where, where it all started and and as dark and miserable at the very <laughs> beginning and put a bit of salt and pepper on that side of it, and then paint the, the picture where you are now is uh, bright and beautiful and lovely and then yeah. everyone will love your story. So, the next, the next section of the book he talks about, he says, teach what you know. So, he talks about sharing your trade secrets. So, actually, in one of your favorite books, Rework, that we did back in <sighs> season one, uh, was, they talked about, you know, the, if you think about the most famous chefs in the world, you know, 
Gordon Ramsay, Nigella Lawson, Jamie Oliver, all these famous chefs, they all have cookbooks and they're all telling everybody the recipes. They're not the most famous chefs because they've got these magical secrets that nobody else in the world can cook. All of their stuff, you could cook yourself because you can just go buy their cookbook for 40 bucks and do it yourself. But by them being out there and sharing their recipes and sharing their experiences as a chef, they've actually become you know, the top of their field, not by hoarding their secrets, but by actually voraciously sharing their secrets. Yeah, when you teach someone, it doesn't subtract from what you do. It actually adds value to what you do. Because when you teach someone how to do your work, you're in effect generating more interest in your work in some way. I mean, Jamie Oliver and, and co showing people their own work and how they actually do things that's the thing that generated all the interest in them yeah i think it's probably like you probably could cook it yourself but it's you probably rather watch him do it and pay him to do it and mm. yeah yeah and sit back one of the later chapters in the book is all about learning to take a punch because you know we'll come to this point if you're in the point where you're actually done the work you're showing your work a lot of it is crap i mean it takes a lot of guts to show work that you're not fully confident in if you're not being a perfectionist. Yeah, most definitely. If you're putting yourself out there, uh, the people who are um, maybe they're jealous that you're taking a leap and putting yourself out there or maybe they're just bad people that just want to tear you down. Like, you know, Australia, tall poppy syndrome. They want to cut down anybody who's trying to to stand out back to the average. You're probably going to cop a few punches, you know, probably not physical, but definitely emotional or mental punches. And so he, he relates this idea of what's the best way, you know, in a boxing ring, how do you take a punch? and relates that to emotionally, how do you take a punch? So one big important thing is relax and breathe. Generally, if somebody says something bad, we're pretty good at extrapolating that in our own minds. We picture the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen to us. We got to relax, breathe, take a step back and realize that that's really just our fear. It's our imagination taking a wrong turn. It's probably unlikely to ever happen. Your brain just makes it feel ultra real. You got to realize that that bad criticism it's not the end of the world. Just take a deep breath and accept whatever comes. The second thing you need to do is strengthen your neck. And the best way to take a punch is practice getting punched a lot. Mm. I mean, if you look at you know, some of the, the boxes out there, Floyd, Money, Mayweather, his actual body is, we're probably bigger than him in terms of volume of body. So Significantly, yeah. Without him ever taking a punch, we could probably take it better than him. But because he's taken so many, somehow his body has found a way to absorb it. And it's no different when it comes to criticism with your work. If you always putting yourself out there over time, it'll get easier and easier to take these punches. The other thing is roll with the punches is keep moving. Every piece of criticism you get, every punch you take, it's actually an opportunity for improvement or it's an opportunity for new work. Take the worst part of whatever you made and use that to fuel the next thing that you make. And protect your vulnerable areas. If you have something too sensitive and too close that's going to hurt you way too much, which for everybody's, probably everybody's got something down there, then just keep that hidden. Yeah, you got to realize that whilst you're sharing everything, if there's something that's going to be absolutely crippling. For If someone gave you a piece of criticism about that and it would be crippling, then that's probably something you keep in your back pocket and you probably don't share that one. And next, keep your balance. Remember that your work is something you do, not who you are. So don't mix your whole entire identity and your whole personal value and worth into your work. Keep them two separate. Yeah, nice. And the capper at the end by Brian Michael Bendis. 
another one who <laughs> I think he met just Brian on a bender or something. Is the trick is not caring about what everybody thinks about you and just care about what the right people think about you. So that's how that's how Cleon says to to take punches of the of the emotional barrage that you might cop when sharing it, but you've got to keep moving anyway. Chapter nine is all about selling out and it's got a negative connotation in our culture, but even the Renaissance had to be funded. So all the good things out there at some stage really had to be monetized in some way to put the fuel in it to keep on going. Yeah, whether an artist makes money off her work or not, money has to come from somewhere. Maybe it's a day job, maybe it's a a wealthy spouse, maybe it's a trust fund, maybe it's an arts grant, maybe it's a patron. Uh, He says it's society and artists, they need to get over this starving artist romanticism you know, people saying that money corrupts the work. Ultimately, it's a it's just a real-life fact of today. You need money. So if you're making work and you're doing something on the weekends and all that, pass around the hat and don't be afraid to charge for your work and put a price on what you think is fair. If you really believe in the work you're doing, then if you're putting getting an income from it, you could just fuel it and point it back more into the work that you're doing to really act as an amplifier to whatever you're trying to create in the world. Yeah, Cleon says that everybody says that they want good artists to make money, but sometimes when they do, they accuse them of being a sellout. You know, they've just, they've sold out. Cleon's uh, word of advice is don't be one of those people who stops listening to their favorite underground band because they got discovered and had a hit single. Don't get jealous of your friends and write them off when they have their first little bit of success. He says, celebrate the victory with them if it, as if it were your own. You know, if somebody's been slaving away and works hard and eventually gets a few dollars coming back the other way, he says, don't be one of those people who starts to hate them because of the success. Be one of those people who celebrates the success with them. Man, I like this Walt Disney quote. This is actually a genuine quote this time. He says, Walt Disney said, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make movies because, you know, making money allows you to keep doing the work that you love and keep making your art a hobby is great but eventually you come to this critical point where you need to start making some kind of money off it so you have to be as generous as you possibly can in making your work for your people but selfish enough to actually get your work done Mm. and monetizing it is is the way to do that yeah i like this good it's a, a very simple decision matrix here if you get an opportunity that comes along if that opportunity allows you to get money and it allows you to keep doing the work that you want to do, then say yes. He says if an opportunity comes along that means you get more money but less of the kind of work that you want to do, then say no. Don't mm-hmm. take money for money's sake. Only do it if it supports doing what you're already doing and that you already love doing. Absolutely. And a timely chapter to confirm yeah. our self-opinion. <laughs> Considering most, most we went certainly. from no income to getting some ads on the show. Uh, the final chapter in the book is Stick Around. And what he says is don't quit your show. The people who get what they're after are the ones who just stick around long enough. I mean, it takes a long time to build anything. For us personally, it was, what, six months before anyone started noticing our podcast or listening. And for a lot of other people out there, it, it it's just going to take time. And some things are worth quitting, but a lot of the time, some things are worth persisting through. As Isaac... Dinenson says, you can't count on success. You can only leave open the possibility for it and be ready to jump on and take that ride when it comes for you. And as Paul Valeri says, work is never finished, only abandoned. Yes, as you're doing this, it probably is going to be tough. There are probably times that you do want to give up, uh, but you've got to realize that you do need to stick around for some length of time. If you've been 
slaving away writing a blog post for two weeks and nobody's read a single post yet, maybe you just haven't given enough time. Obviously, there's a fine balance between is this working and is this never going to possibly work? But you've got to at least leave yourself open to the possibility of it perhaps taking off one day. He recommends once you've built a product, don't lose momentum. He says you need to keep chain smoking. So avoid stalling in your career by asking what's next every time you finish something. He says instead of taking breaks between projects, waiting for feedback and just worrying about what's next, just use the end of your previous project to light the fuse of the next one. Yeah, he says any true artist realize that you know doing one project is great, but that's not enough. You know, Woody Allen says that the day he finishes editing a film, he starts writing the next one. Bob Pollard says he never gets writer's block because he never stops writing. Ernest Hemingway would always stop in the middle of a sentence so he knew where to begin again instantly when he started. And Joni Mitchell says whenever she feels like there was some kind of weak passage or a weak verse in a song, she'd use that weakness as the inspiration for the next starting point. He says you always need to be constantly keeping up that momentum and using one project, finishing it, and using that as a platform to propel yourself into the next one. Don't just settle and think, I've finished this project, that's me done. You've got to realize that it, uh, the true life of an artist means you've got to be always thinking, what's next? And remember, you're going to stay as an amateur. So when you feel like there's everything to learn from the thing you've been doing, be prepared to change course and find something completely new to learn to keep moving forward. Alain de Botton said, anyone who isn't embarrassed of who they were last year probably isn't learning enough. <laughs> 